Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, just a, a couple of, of quick things to say before we dive into Scripture and uh, the message for today. First, um, really, really, I do get to decide what we're calling Henry. I've decided that. That's a true. I did the same with Rogan, if you guys remember that. I picked the name even though it was in their top two, and I don't think it really factored into the final name. I did say it was my favorite. Um, but beyond the, the silliness, um, just an encouragement. We're getting towards the end of our fiscal year. You know that I, I don't preach on giving. I don't like to talk about giving too much, but I do like the encouragement. So you know, um, we're hovering right at that like 98, 99%. Like we're right there. So this isn't like a, hey, we need money. This is more of a let's finish strong. Just an encouragement, a reminder. Maybe you've forgotten a couple of Sundays. Like, ah, whatever that is, or whatever it isn't. I just, it should be brought to everybody's attention. It's already been an awesome year. Let's finish strong. I knew we were going to be here. It just, that this congregation is that sort of a congregation. It just really is. So, um, just some encouragement in that. And then um, we do have a couple of more Sundays of sort of this program year. That is. A revelation plus some Easter texts that are from the lectionary, and that kind of caps on Pentecost. And then over the summer, we're going to do this fun series, I think. It's Summer in the Psalms. Um, but we're doing a psalm every Sunday, but there's a specific connection to something in the New Testament. Um, either it's directly quoted in the New Testament or it's referenced in the New Testament. I'm not sure that every Sunday we'll read both a New Testament and Psalm, but at least we'll reference it for you. So if you wanted to look it up and read where it's found in the New Testament, you can do that. But we're going to walk through the Psalms this summer, and uh, I, for one, am very much looking forward to it. It's going to be pretty cool. So today our text continues in the Gospel of John. This is um, what normally the, the Lutheran churches are doing. It's called the pericope. They do these readings. We don't do the pericope through most of the year, but then sometimes we, we hop on board. And this is from the Gospel of John. And in John, there is this sort of moment, this, this prayer, this conversation with his disciples in John 14. And Jesus specifically starts to promise and do some talk about the Holy Spirit. Because this is the word of our Lord, would you please stand? Jesus said, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me, because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father." And I will love him and manifest myself to him. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Brothers and sisters in Christ, um, this text is a good one. <laughs> and it's a good one because I, I could either preach for three hours or like two minutes. <laughs> and, and it's going to be really hard to shoot in between those two amounts of time. The two-minute version really starts with going, 
hey, look, I don't get it either. <laughs> and just kind of working from there. And, and the much longer version says, well, let me explain and go into deep depth on the councils of Nicaea and Constantinople and all of this church history and all of these heresies and different teachings because what our text deals with today is something that is just, frankly, difficult to understand. Uh, in fact, the, the, the sermon title for the first one is, it's an mystery wrapped in a riddle inside an enigma. <laughs> um, this was popularized in the, the movie JFK by Oliver Stone, but maybe first attributed to Winston Churchill. I did a little bit of digging on it, and, and it seemed like it was a little bit unsure, but this, this phrase essentially is to say, yeah, I have no way to understand this thing. And the no way to understand thing that we're talking about is the Trinity, the relationship of the, the persons in the Trinity, the, the relationship to us, all of this stuff. It's, it's huge when you start to think about it. Because in our, in our text this morning, there's a couple of unique things to note. For one thing, Jesus says, I will ask the Father to send the Spirit. So we've got all three persons of the Trinity referenced here, right? We've got Jesus saying that he's going to ask the Father to send the Spirit. Does that mean Jesus has to get Dad's permission? <laughs> Is that what that means? I mean, it's, it's strange, and, and if they are all three God, then why does Jesus need to ask? And how does he get to, like, is Jesus not the boss of the Spirit, but the Father is the boss of the Spirit? It's, all of this is really, really weird, is what I'm saying. And at the end of the day, there, there needs to come a point where we simply say, I don't know. <laughs> I don't understand. See, there's, there's great wisdom not in, in trying to understand all of the details and, and combing through scriptures and getting every last bit as precise as possible versus the, the wisdom of stepping back and saying, I can know this and I can't know that. I can know what this is, and I can't know what that is, and then not trying to chase down and know what you can't know, but instead spending our time not just investigating, learning, and, and understanding, but, but just being secure and sure in what we do know. So the, <clears throat> the things that we do know when it comes to the Trinity is all persons of the Trinity are indeed equal, and they are all equally God. They're, they're all God, right? There's one God, three persons. But one of them does something really unique. Jesus humbles himself to become one of us. The Father didn't do that, and the Spirit didn't do that. So Jesus, as, as the person who is God and man, this, this Jesus enigma, if you will, with, that is wrapped in a mystery and, and all this stuff, this Jesus has humbled himself below the Father. So in that regard, yeah, he asks the Father to send the Spirit. But Jesus then, of course, we know, is raised up, placed at the right hand of God, and, and that dynamic changes at the ascension, all of that. But that's not really exactly what we're talking about today because Jesus isn't talking about himself primarily. 
Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit. And so we have in this conversation of the Holy Spirit something I decided to talk to, to describe for our, our message today as the Pentecost conundrum. <laughs> what I mean by that is Pentecost is a real conundrum. So in a couple of weeks, right, it's, it's not this Sunday, and it's a little bit weird, I think, that this text isn't connected to Pentecost because it's all about the Spirit. Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will be sent to the disciples. Well, we know that that happens at Pentecost for the disciples, and we know that it happens for us in our baptism. The sending of the Holy Spirit is a conundrum because it's the thing that you pay attention to, but you're not supposed to. You're supposed to not pay attention to it. <laughs> the job of the Spirit is actually really similar to the job of Jesus in this one way. Well, we, ha we have um, the text. I don't know that I have it on the screen. Let me double check what I put on the screen. Now, in, in our text this morning, Jesus says, I will ask the Father, he will give you another helper. Well, if there's another one that's the Spirit, that there must be one before that, that is Jesus. Jesus, his role in all of this is, is pretty grand and diverse, but he's speaking about one thing specifically. Because earlier in John 14, verse 8 to 9, which we do have up here on the screen, Philip said to him, Lord, this he's talking to Jesus, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and still do you not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? One of the, the most important things, it's not the most important thing that Jesus does, but a very, very, everything Jesus does is important, let's be honest, but a very important thing that Jesus does is he allows people a real look at part of the character and the nature of God. And that character and nature of God that is in Jesus is, is part of that entire trinity. So what you see in Jesus, you also can know is true of the Father, and then, of course, true of the Spirit. So in a way, Jesus' job is to show you what you can't see in the Father, to show you something about the Father that you wouldn't be able to see if Jesus didn't come to earth, walk around, teach, preach, do his miracles. I mean, you learn so much about the Father just by examining Jesus. He's all-powerful. He's able to create and recreate. He's able to do these miracles, and he's able to forgive sins. You see in him compassion, grace, mercy, justice, Love, all of these things that you see in Jesus, you can say, well, this then is true also of the Father. Not, not that he's got fingers and toes like Jesus has. That's, that's specific to Jesus. But these other things, this is, this is what Jesus does. And now Jesus says, I'm going to send another helper. And what is that helper's job? That helper's job is to help us see Jesus. <laughs> so that's the thing, is if you look... To, to the Spirit, what the Spirit's going to do is uh, look over there to Jesus. <laughs> so the, the more you try and see the Spirit, the more he's going to point you to Jesus. 
that's just simply the role that he is in right now is, is pointing us towards Jesus and even a step beyond that, shaping and forming us to be a lot like Jesus. We're going to get to that in just a minute. But this is that weird conundrum that I'm talking about is, is to spend Sundays examining, talking about, preaching on the Holy Spirit is in itself a conundrum because the Holy Spirit wants us to go, hey, whoa, no, look over there, it's Jesus. <laughs> don't, don't spend too much time on me. Don't, don't. Jesus is over there. This is the one you need to keep your eyes on. This is the one who died for you. This is the one who gave his life for you. So it is a little bit strange to try and preach on the thing that you're not supposed to notice or think about, but I'm going to give it a shot this morning. So one of the things the Spirit um, is doing this morning, we can see here in, in John 14, 17 to 19, it says, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Boom, it's right there in the text. You know, what the, you know who the spirit is? Jesus is, is doing work by the power of the Holy Spirit on earth. So he's with them, but Jesus is saying, there's something's gonna change. He's with you now. He's going to be in you soon. That's Pentecost. And that change, that difference is huge. That, that God dwells in us is one of the most important aspects of, of the Christian life today. Maybe it doesn't receive as much teaching and preaching, but it's, it's so critical to, to be a person of God today to understand that God dwells in you and the difference that that makes that God dwells inside of us. When we look in the Old Testament, we see a lot of things that are external on the outside, right? To be a person of God. What does that mean? Well, in the Old Testament, to be a person of God is you look externally for stuff that, that points to the character and nature of God. Like that food is, is not clean. This food is clean. <laughs> right? That place is holy. This place is unholy. Right? Um, I can wear this shirt. I can't wear that shirt. It's, it's all this external stuff because the, we needed this external. The people of God needed an external, consistent reminder of who God is. And there's so much theology, symbolism, and meaning to all of these external things. But the question is why are they so external? Why didn't God just dwell in the Israelites? Well, the thing you need to know about the glory of God is that to draw close to it, to be in proximity to the actual glorified presence of God would kill you. And it's, it's not because God is angry. <laughs> it's, it's not because he, he doesn't want that to happen. That's why he doesn't go to dwell in his people. It would destroy them. This is just the way it is. That which is holy and perfect and, and glorified, th that is God. The, the things of God are so holy, they consume unholiness and destroy unholiness. And it's not because he's angry or mad. That's just the way it is. 
for, for the glory of God to dwell closely and intimately with sinful people would destroy sinful people the same way that, that light can't dwell in darkness. Like, why doesn't light hang out with dark? Like, why doesn't the sun rise in the middle of the night? It, that's, that don't work. It just doesn't function. So there's this, this real problem when Adam and Eve fall into sin and all of us have this sin that if God were to dwell with us the way he wants to dwell with us, it would kill us. It's not because God is like, ugh, I don't want to be near those guys. They're all gross and human and stuff. No, no, it's exactly the opposite. In fact, in fact, what God does is take on our human ill. He takes on human flesh. He humbles himself. He diminishes his glory so that he can step in to be with us. And that's Jesus. See how this works? Oh my gosh, God is with us. Emmanuel, God with us. Here he is, so close to us that I can talk to him, touch him, eat meals with him, hear him preach, laugh with him, cry with him, and it's not destroying me. This is huge, that God diminishes himself, humbles himself. This is why Jesus rightly says, the Father is greater than me, because in his earthly ministry, he has. He's humbled and diminished himself for your safety, for the safety of the disciples, so he doesn't destroy the planet by showing up, right? He diminishes himself, and then he goes to the cross, and, and I cannot stress this enough, in a real way, not symbolic, not metaphorically. In a real way, your sin really is transferred to Jesus where it's destroyed. What does this mean? <laughs> this means your sin, the thing that makes you unholy, makes you unclean, is gone. Now God can draw near to you in his full glory. Pentecost. <laughs> you see how this works? Is this starting to jive with you a little bit? Like, oh, okay. So if I believe in Jesus, that means my sins are removed. Therefore, the Holy Spirit can dwell in me. And now God dwells in me. And now I start to look at the Trinity, the, the thing that we don't understand. And I can apply that to myself and be like, I don't really know how that works either. <laughs> like, I don't know. I, I didn't get like an extra chamber in my heart or something. I don't know how this works. Like, where does... I don't know, but there is this thing, it's, it's called the unia mystica in Latin, because again, theologians want to sound smarter than you, so we make up words, but there's this, this some weird, mystical, un, non-understandable connection that we have with all of God because the Spirit dwells in us. In the same way, I don't really fully understand the, the dynamics of the Trinity because nobody does. I don't fully understand the dynamics of, the, of God dwelling in me. I don't know how it works. I don't know exactly the, well, I don't know. But I know the ramifications of it. I know what it means. And I can see, well, the advantages of it. I, I can see the effects of it. I can see all of that and the way in which we can see it the most Jesus has in our text. It's love. Love. 
I'm going to go right to the verse right away, guys. Go ahead and put it up on the screen. (laughs) If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Dan talked about this, preached about this. This is a profound thing. But I don't want it to scare you because you're like, well, I don't keep his commandments. Does that mean I don't love him? No, 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 no. You're reading this in English and you're reading it... um, without the full context. So I'm going to try and give you, without getting too dorky about how this is subjunctive, Ian clause, it's not conditional. Like it's, it's, it's like this. It's, it's not a commandment, if you, then you better, or if you do, then you don't. Or, it's like this. If you're a Cyclones football fan, then you don't like Hawkeye football fans at all. They're annoying and rude and awful and terrible. Am I right? That's all the reaction I'm getting from this? It's the truth, right? It's truth. Nobody had to tell you that they're jerks, right? Nobody had to tell you not to like them. Nobody had to command you. Now, here's where it falls a little bit, because honestly, nobody likes Hawkeye football fans, so it's like... Well, I always try to make everybody angry. I don't, I don't want to pick sides. Uh, and, and by the way, Michigan's dumb. Uh, <laughs> um, but, you know, it's, it's just this natural thing. You know, the, the other example I was going to use is uh, we have a member of our church who every year will, will bring these really cool tricycle motorcycle things and got an extra one from the dealer, dropped it off here a day or two beforehand so he could bring his, so there could be two, and he was like, I'm just going to leave the keys here. And I was like, okay. He's like, are you going to drive it? Well, yeah. <laughs> like, if you leave the keys, obviously I'm driving it. Like, there is no question. It's just part of the nature of who I am. It's, it's not because you left the keys here, I'm driving it. If they're here, I'm driving it. It's, it's this natural outcropping. It's just, just this connection. Our love of God means we fulfill his commandments. Our love of God fulfills the commandments because we love God. To love God is to fulfill the commandments. <laughs> this, this is the, the beauty of it is once you believe and have faith, all of the things are done. Everything is finished. Like, well, what do I have to do now? Not only is there not a list of things to do, if there was, they've already been done. <laughs> they were done in Christ, not by you. They were, they were done by Christ, in Christ, and with Christ, it's accomplished in you. What does that mean? It means all of these, these lists of external things that the Israelites were supposed to do, well, they're gone because that's, that's the external way to know God. But now the Spirit dwells in me, and I love God, <laughs> and that's it. I love God. God. Well, what does that look like? Well, I know it looks like a man who is God who gave his life for me and rose from the dead. I know it looks like one who had compassion on, on sick people, on, on homeless people. He loved the outcast. He gave hope to people who had no hope. He went out of his way to serve others, but so much more than that. It's all of those things, plus he is the one willing to forgive someone else even when they don't deserve it. Someone like me. It's, it's one who is willing to not just, not just do all of that, but humble himself below his rightful station of God of the universe to dude who was born in the Middle East. 
Someone who's willing to take the scorn of others, but not deviate from his mission, which is to reconcile people to God. That's what love is. We get so caught up on, on if we love God, we got to do all these things. Number one, most of the time we don't know what love is. We think of Hollywood love, right? Oh, I love you. We, that's infatuation. That's passion. It's lust. It's, it's all of these other things. But it's not love. For God so loved the world. How ridiculous would it be if God's love for us was like, I was just wandering around the wilderness or the universe <laughs> and I saw this planet and I thought immediately, that's my planet. It's my soul planet. Like it's, it's not love. I'm not saying that those things are bad. You can be infatuated with your spouse. You, you, you can be head over heels. You, you can be all of those things for your spouse. Love is something different. Love is, is what God does for us in Christ Jesus. That's what love looks like. It just doesn't sell movie tickets. doesn't get clicks online, and nobody's going to watch that sitcom, right? But that's what love is. As well as saying in the children's message, you can't love the way God loves unless you know about God's love and experience God's love in faith. Secular people without faith can be kind, can be nice, can be infatuated, can have lust, can have all of those things. But if they know not Christ, they know not love. They get a caricature caricature of it. They get a, a false picture of it. But we see love when Christ gives his life for us. We see love beaten and bloodied and scorned and mocked and nailed to a tree. And he loves us. That's what love is. If we love him, we have kept all of the commandments. And, and as we know, and what I said earlier is with that spirit dwelling in me, when that love of God starts to, to go from the little pool to welling up to the lake, to the ocean, when that love overflows, right, what happens? I am just naturally inclined to feed the hungry, go to the poor, love the outcast, work for justice, cry and weep with those who are victimized and harmed by a cruel and, and awful, sinful world. Draw near to those who need me most. Love those people. Have compassion on people who hate me because of what I believe. All of those things sound a lot like Jesus, right? If I love him and that love, the more it wells up in me, the more I can't stop that from happening. The more the love of God wells up in me, the more I can't help but, but love others. And it turns out that's the command. Love God. Don't spend time working on the things and the commandments. Spend your time learning to love God more. Oh, if only he had left us some kind of helper to do it. <laughs> In Jesus Christ, amen.
Uh, we're going to go ahead and pray. I'm going to have the elders bring the uh, kiddos back in. If you would please bow your heads and pray with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for um, this gift of the helper, the spirit that works in me love. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would teach me to look first to the love of Christ Jesus, whose death on a cross for me is everything. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would work that in each and every one of us here today. May we fall more passionately, intimately, and deeply in love with Christ Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. And I ask, Jesus, that as you have forgiven our sins and washed us clean, so too will you continue to work through the Spirit to make us holy and pure and full of love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.